Greetings and aloha. Welcome to the Holistic Human Optimization Show. This is episode five in series one in our solo episode series. And uh, I got to say that I am enjoying these solo episodes. I am really actually enjoying them more than just interviewing other people. If, you, uh, if you're just tuning in or you're new to this show or you're just coming back to it, you've been away from it for a little while, if you go back in the – you scroll down a little bit in the episodes, there is an episode called The Turning Point of this podcast. And I, I basically spend about 18 minutes or 20 minutes explaining why I've decided to gravitate away from doing interviews after about 100 and – I mean, I still have a few interviews to do as I'm recording this, so I'm bulk batching these solo episodes right now, and uh, I still have about three interviews to do before I completely cut out of that, so we're looking at like 188, maybe 190 interviews before we transition completely into like obviously now as you listen to this we have transitioned into these solo episodes but I basically explain my reason for that and why I've been feeling called literally for over a year as I've been doing this podcast as I've been pumping out all these interview episodes for people um, I've really been wanting to get back to me and get back to the focus on my own work. It's been absolutely incredible doing these interviews and developing relationships with literally the leading thought leaders in the world and um, putting the spotlight on many other people other than myself that deserve it and giving that platform and giving all of you as listeners alternative perspectives and incredible enriching conversations and... um, you know, there's so much that I've been wanting to really dive into. So here we are. Um, so the series number one, the first series, as if you've been listening, you already know, this is the holistic nutrition series. We've talked about living foods 101. We've talked about superfoods 101. We talked about tonic herbs 101. Our last episode, we dove deep into food addictions, food allergies, food combining, And now we are going to dive into um, an interesting set of topics that is related to ancestral dietary patterns and also something called blue zones. So this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. And we're going to see where it takes us because there are other similar topics that will be coming up in series number two related to vegetarianism, veganism ancestral paleo diets, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that in detail. So um, I'm not going to go super in-depth on certain things that are related to this particular topic, mostly around ancestral dietary patterns, but the way that I'll set this up is that I want to give some brush strokes on my perspectives based on my research, based on my investigation, based on common sense, really, which unfortunately is not so common in the dietary world, and also piecing together all the miscellaneous pieces of all the different dietary ideas, ideologies, um, you know, preferences, I, you know, just all the different ideas 
when it comes to what is the most natural type of diet in the world. This is not easily explainable, mostly because every single culture that has ever lived on this planet and who has ever set up generations in, in, in not just decades, but millennia on the planet, all the most um, uh, sustained cultures in the world, they've all had unique and interesting lifestyle adaptations and consistent themes that have showed up in how they've structured and organized their dietary patterns. And those dietary patterns, by the way, are not, were not born out of intellectualism. They were not born out of ideas that we oftentimes just make up in our head, which is what the big challenge that we face in our day and age right now is that we are, we are suffering from um, the viral infection of intellectualism. What that means basically is that we are so wound up in our head that as a culture, we have been disembodied from our actual body. We are literally not fully incarnated and embodied into our physical body. And so we're living in our head. We're making, we're literally to the point where we're making up ideas about what our ancestors did and did not do. And um, using that, a lot of times what I've noticed, because one of the things that I studied very in-depthly is all forms of psychology. I realized that 90% of diet is psychological, and it's based on compliance. And it's, it's based on the psychology of the individual and how to get them psychologically on board with whatever particular eating habit there is. So when you look at a lot of these diets that are that are proposed, especially the trending ones, the ones that are most popularized, you look at the people that are promoting it and you look at most of the people, the mass population of people that have gravitated towards them, particularly paleo-ish type of diets. You see this with the keto diet as well, <clears throat> where people have a particular preference on how they would like to eat. You know, for example, if somebody wants to eat meat, then they're going to find ways to eat meat. If somebody does not want to eat meat, right, then they're going to find ways to justify not eating meat. It's very simple. So it's not necessarily what is actually empirically, objectively, obviously best for us, short-term and long-term, a lot of times these dietary ideas have been born out of what's called cognitive bias or certainty bias. And these are psychological, clinical type of terms to describe the, the biases that people set up in their mind and they literally will filter their entire reality and their entire perception into those little boxes to validate and confirm their own biases or their own their own false sense of certainty or false sense of security right what i've done with my my own practice is i've taken myself completely out of those boxes i've broken completely out of those boxes because in order to find the truth you can't be operating under certainty or cognitive bias. You have to understand, okay, where are my biases? Are my biases leaning towards eating meat? Because if they are, it's not to say it's right or wrong. We're, this has nothing to do with right or wrong or morality or any of that kind of stuff or ethics. 
This has to do with objective truth-seeking and discovering the process of finding truth. And so in order to do that, you have to break out of these little dogmas and these fundamental religious ideas around diet um, and be honest about what what your personal ethics or morals are. Um, and let that guide you. What's your personal philosophy, understanding what that is, and then looking at, okay, what is true about where is my body right now? Do I need me? Do I not need me? Right? Asking these fundamental questions and unhooking from the, the biases that we set up for ourselves. Because what's interesting about this, and um, this is leading us into the, the overall topic, What's interesting about a lot of these ideas is that there's a storyline attached to it. So the Paleolithic, I mean, it's almost, it's comical when I think of the whole thing now, especially modern human beings attempting to even interpret a Paleolithic existence. It's like, get out of here. It's not even, I'm going to go on this little rant right here and circle back around. It's not even possible. I think we touched on this in an earlier episode. It's not even possible for a modern human being that's literally been domesticated to understand the natural instincts and wild food intuition because that human being has literally been hybridized and most likely genetically modified through their eating habits, through vaccinations, through potentially cesarean C-section, through, um, you know, if, they've, if they're a boy and they've, they've had a circumcision or any other form of mutilation or they've been conditioned and modified for a socialized civilization, how the heck is that human being going to understand on any level the lifestyle, and it's not even a lifestyle, it's the survival style, the adaptation style of what we would call a wild, undomesticated human being. Because that's what Paleolithic is essentially. It's wild. It's, it's the wildest of the wild. It's the most undomesticated human beings ever, right? And, I, and I've, studied, I've studied ancient civilizations, ancient cultures, ancient ET-based on um, you know theories on where we came from and how civilization came about prior to the the Neolithic age and the you know the the whatever the ten thousand years of agriculture and all of that. I mean, we're talking about how did human beings even even become that whole the whole Big Bang and the whole um, you know we came from apes and just adapted in this whole linear timeline and this this very neatly well explained kind of perspective on evolution, not only has that been debunked many times over, um, it doesn't really make any sense, actually. When you just look at it, it's like, oh, okay, this is what human beings do. There's, it's a certainty bias. And we can't deal with uncertainty, so we make up stories and theories and narratives to explain you know, what we want to be true so we can move on and get on with it so we don't have to ponder the question mark in our head of, okay, what is the mystery of the human experience? Where did we come from? People are, people are so hyper, they're, they're so domesticated to the point where they can't even deal with the mystery. But that's the access point towards freedom and liberation is being able to sit 
with the mystery without actually needing to know the answer, but to entertain all possibilities. And this is the exact approach that I started to take towards nutrition and dietary evolutionary theory. And in my book, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, I have an entire chapter. It was actually the one chapter that took me the longest to write because the research on it was the most intense. It was, it was such a departure from the other stuff that I was focused on. It, was, it was, took me an entire month of every day, all day, massive focus to knock this chapter out. And we go so deep into, it's called evolutionary uh, theory, evolutionary diet theory or something. That, 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 that chapter is worth the, the, the $30 or $25 for the book in of itself. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, because it breaks so many things down, like this idea of, okay, did human beings' brain adapt by eating meat? Um, maybe and maybe not. That's, a, that's actually a topic in of itself, and that's one of the main theories that people will use to validate this narrative around the Paleolithic idea. But when I really look into the psychology and the emotional um, immaturity of people living in civilization with their eating habits, you find out most of these people have never done a cleanse before. They've never attempted to do a healthy, organic, vegan or vegetarian approach. And they're just using this like idea as a, as a, a bias to not even attempt to look at something other than what they're already used to, which is basically just gluttony, right? They're just feeding their food habit. They're just stuffing their face. It's just like, it's, it's like, and again, this isn't about eating meat or not eating meat. What I'm saying is that we have to be well-rounded. We have to be well-balanced and we have to open our mind to the mystery of life instead of trying to pigeonhole life all the time in these, these made up falsified theories so we can feel safe and secure in an infinite universe, right? That's just materialism. That's scientism. And that's the root of all the problems in our world. Okay, so there's that. <laughs> um, let's lead into some of the topics I want to talk about here with the time we have left. Um, so on the topic of ancestral diets, yeah, so we talked about some of the paleo ideology. One of the ideas is that we need to eat like our ancestors ate, right? So what we talked about was a good segue into this. So I'm not going to talk about what our ancestors ate because as I pointed out before, every single culture and every single ancestral lineage, they all ate different things based on the, the availability of food, plant and animal food, in their in immediate environment. Now, we don't actually know what their immediate environment was at any particular snapshot in the timeline of human history because it's all, it's all a changing dynamic. History is not linear. It's multidimensional, which is an entirely different topic in of itself, but it's an important thought process that there's not a linear timeline. Time in of itself does not work on the quantum. The quantum understanding of time is not this linear thing. It's actually the future and the past 
are simultaneous. Now that, that obviously is a departure from our topic, but it's just to point out that we have been totally screwed up. We've been totally screwed up with these theories and these ideas. And so we're sitting in the present moment trying to identify how do we move forward into the future. And we're looking to the past to identify the eating habits of our ancestors so we can explain why we are in the health crisis that we are right now. Well, you don't actually have to look back to your ancestors to realize why we live in the sickest time in human history. That's already obvious. That's already been, I mean, it's, it, how much more can we talk about it? How much more can we talk about the fact that the majority of food is sprayed with every single heinous pesticide chemical that, you know, petrochemical genetically modified insecticide or herbicide like glyphosate and the genetic modification of our food supply, vaccinations and all the crazy, you know, um, ingredients and all the stuff that goes into that. Like, I mean, you know, how hard is it for people to actually understand why we are where we are right now? Right? Like this has all been documented. This has been you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm talked out on most of this stuff, right? That's why I'm doing the solo series, but it's not just why I'm doing the solo series. I'm doing the solo series so we can get that out of the way. So we can talk about what we really need to talk about, which is not just what our ancestors did in the past, but it's what are we going to do moving forward? How are we going to take the wisdom of our ancestors based on their instinctual wisdom, their intuitive wisdom, in their wild food intuition, how are we going to take what, how are we going to take that wisdom and apply it to our technological world moving forward? Because ultimately the problem in our world is that we have, we're drowning in information and we're starving for wisdom. We have every bit of information that we could ever want, but we don't seem to have the wisdom to apply it appropriately, practically, and effectively. So we've gotten ourselves in a very strange situation through the domestication of our present circumstances. So ultimately what we have to do, and I want you to like write this down or burn this into your mind, which is the, the antidote for our current dilemma is that we as human beings, individually and collectively, must rise from the ashes of human domestication. We must rise from the ashes of human domestication. That is the, that is the idea. Now, in order to do that, it's very important to understand the challenges that we have, we currently, we currently face, but we have to understand, okay, what can we learn from our ancestors? What, what are the commonalities between the cultures that have the longest lifespan, that have, the same, that, that have lived the longest with the highest quality of life? What are the commonalities? What did they do different? And at what point in human history did things make a turn for the worst? So let's talk about that. That's what I want to talk about with the rest of the time we have here. So 
there was a there was a dentist, a very famous dentist, maybe the most famous dentist ever. His name was Dr. Weston Price. Dr. Weston Price was a dentist who basically in the early, early 1900s, he started to notice that his patients would start coming in with an accelerated um, rate of dental issues, dental, you know, cavitations, um, all kind, you know, all kinds of issues with their, their teeth health, their oral cavity. And it started happening very, very quickly. And so this was also at the exact time that the processed food diet was introduced into the Western culture. And that's the first culture to, to in, introduce it. And what was that based on? That was based on the advent of the Industrial Revolution. First, we started with you know, technologicalizing um, our environment, our modes of transportation, our modes of communication, um, industry, and then that led into adapting or to basically demolishing natural food instincts and patterns and starting to adapt the, the natural food farming model to a more processed food farming mo- or processed food model through industry, through factories, through convenience. How do we get this out quicker? How do we get this out quicker? How do we save more money? The bottom line, like all that, that parasitic kind of bottom line, you know, false business, um, you know, you know, speed, 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 hurry up, hurry up, speed it up kind of, kind of thing. Hold on one second here. I'm going to shut, I'm going to close the window. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so that that's basically the advent of the industrial revolution and that's seeding into the farming model into our food distribution system. Obviously, you have more people coming into America through for opportunity trying to get out of their impoverished situations in their different countries and because of the increase in population, there's an increase of food distribution needs, right? So anyways, that's all somewhat obvious. We get that. You can get a basic idea of, you know, basic rundown of, of our recent history. Now, Dr. Weston Price started to notice the, de- the accelerated decline in dental health. And so he actually toured around the world visiting every single in- indigenous culture that was still living on their natural land, they had not been adapted to civilization. The Western, um, the Western model had not had not made its way into other countries. That's why other people from other countries were trying to get over to America on boats um, because it hadn't made its way over there. Now, all these cultures living in their natural habitat, living, um, yeah, their natural environment, natural habitat, living in a tribal circumstance with all the members of their family and their tribe eating a natural diet that that they have adapted to throughout their entire cultural history. What he noticed was that not one of these cultures ever brushed their teeth. They never flossed their teeth. They might use some sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, but different cultures have different models for this. They might use some sort of thing to like clean off their teeth, but there was no like brushing their teeth with toothpaste. There was certainly no root canals or 
Um, you know, mercury fillings. What a what a what a what a crazy nightmare that is. N- none of that kind of stuff, right? No wisdom tooth extractions or any of that kind of stuff. And they had the healthiest teeth, the whitest teeth, and the best the density of their bone structure that he's ever seen. And this is all actually recorded in anthropology in the fossil records of indigenous human beings. Their bone density is stronger than pretty much any any quote-unquote civilized domestic human being is nowadays, right? Very fascinating stuff. So this is Weston Price is basically his 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 um, the work that he left over to all of us. There's many other things about Weston Price, by the way, that a lot of people don't know about. Weston Price was one of the original proponents that spoke out against root canals and extracting our teeth, like wisdom tooth extracting, extractions. Like this is just totally not necessary. It's not smart. But the dental industry is an industry, isn't it, right? There's a bottom line to it. Now we know, you know, root canals and all that, that's a whole other subject. Um, you know, mercury amalgam fillings and wisdom tooth extractions. Like I've, I've gone deep into that. I talk about it in my book. Um, I also talk about it in my Holistic Health Mastery Program. There's a two-video series that goes deep into that. Um, Dr. Weston Price was the original pioneer. Now, just as a side note, if you want to go deeper into dental health, I also recommend um, – what was his book? His book was um, Physical Health and Degeneration, right? Physical Health and Degeneration by Dr. Weston Price. That was his original work. What is seminal work in the field? And then um, his his um, the the man who took his work and basically brought it into the modern age, Dr. Hal Huggins, who was a hero of mine. I got to see him speak before he passed away about seven you know five six seven years ago, and I studied his work intensely. Um, learning more and more about the dental industry, and he basically carried Western Price's work over, and he had a huge focus on root canals and on mercury amalgam fillings, and he has a great book called It's All in Your Head, and that basically is talking about what's going on in your oral cavity and all the either the mercury the mercury amalgam fillings that are outgassing and going into the brain. That's what he means. It's all in your head. So a lot of the problems you might be having mentally might be related to heavy metal toxicity and uh, a really important book to to pick up. So anyways, so that's the first thing right there that's going to lead us into our final part of this talk is that we need to understand through Dr. Weston Price's perspective and his work, that was the exact point or everything started to go awry. And if you look at all the statistics in health in America, when things started to actually tip over, we were the healthiest country in the world, by the way. At one point, we were the healthiest people in the world. And now we're like, we're literally one of the unhealthiest societies in the entire world. It hasn't been that long, you know, when you think like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years, give it 100 years. That's not, that's a blink in the eye of history. What the heck happened to us? Well, this is what happened to us, the current situation that we're in. And so now 
you know, what I want to talk about is the blue zone idea. So then this is basically what Weston Price was doing. He was going around the world, visiting with all of these cultures, finding the commonalities between them and why they didn't have any health issues, basically. Now, speed up to where we are now. There is a book that was put out quite some time ago and a concept called the Blue Zones. The Blue Zones. Now, I'm um, thinking of the author. I can't. His first name start, is uh, Dan Butner. That's it. Dan Butner is the author of the book, the, the Blue Zones. And he actually went around the, the world to find the six primary places in the world that have the longest living people with the, the highest quality of life. We're talking about life expectancy that's 90 and 100 years old. In America, life expectancy, um, I think for your average woman, is like 76-ish. And for men, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit less. That's crazy. Now, what, what he was finding is that actually people were living quite longer than that, by the way. And I can, I, can, I can rattle off many, many names and many examples of people in recent history that were 115, 120, 124. Jean Clamont, um, the French woman, 120, or no, is 124? 122 or 124. I might be getting that number off. Who cares? It's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And you can look that up on YouTube. You can still look her up. There was another um, Bernardo Bernardo Lapalo. He died recently at 114, and he was pretty much a raw foodist for most of his life. He did eat fish, but other than that, he was pretty much a raw foodist for most of his entire life. And he was in his quality of life. He was basically. At 114, he owned multiple restaurants. He was writing multiple, multiple books, touring around the world speaking at 114. You got people that are 20 years old right now that can't get out of bed. It's like, come on. <laughs> we, we have some things we need to deal with here as a, as a human species. Um, so anyways, the blue zones. So the blue zones are basically areas of the world. There's six primary ones right now that are um, that that house the longest living people, centurions basically, people that have lived a, sun, a century and beyond, the life expectancy of centurions. So one of the things that I want to point out about that too, and this is very telling about our culture, is that in these areas, um, Dan actually found out that one of the primary distinctions between them is that in all these cultures, they have a reverence for the elderly. There's a reverence and a respect and an honoring for those that have gone through the aging process, right? In our culture in America, aging is seen as an unproductive and a negative and fearful thing. And one of the things about this is that we have just completely avoided our own mortality, we have taken that off the table. We do not discuss it. It's not even a consideration. It's like, no, we can't talk. That's that we can't talk about that at the dinner table. That's not even, you know, even though we've seen multiple people die, it's kind of like, ah, oh, we just shoo that under the rug. We don't talk about it. 
is we don't want to deal with the fact that that is a part of life. It's a part of the life cycle. And we have been so disconnected from our natural environment that we don't understand the life cycle, right? And this is the problem with living in cities is that it's a complete departure from the natural environment and the natural rhythmic cycles of nature. And it's hard to connect with our own inner nature if we're disconnected from our outer nature. Um, Very, very important. So all these people were living in natural environments. Their traditions, their cultural heritage, and the teachings of those traditions were passed on from one generation to the next which is another important point about our Americanized generation or our generation, but our Americanized culture as a whole, particularly represented in the generation that we're in now, which is that we don't know who we are. We don't know where we came from. We're such a mixed bag of cultures, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but because of our culture and because of our socialized conditioning, we don't know who we are. We've disbanded from traditionalism, right? We've given our spiritual connection over for technological convenience and entertainment. And we don't really know where we came from. And people just make up all kinds of ridiculous theories that are like from a million years ago or hundreds of years ago that are not relevant to who and where we are right now in our own developmental phase of just coming into our own as a human being and maturing into adulthood, having rites of passage. These are traditional um, things that every single one of these cultures has, and they've carried on generation to generation. So there's the family unit that's been connected. There's not this breakdown in the immediate family structure like we see today. Um, I was raised by a single mother. I can't begin to tell you how many of my friends had broken families, more than not. I know more people that came from broken families than people that had an actual two-parent situation. And then a lot of the people in the two-parent situation were be- would have been better off if they had one-parent situation because there was so much dysfunction and trauma passed on from those situations. And then maybe there were some people that had some semblance of an actual functional family scenario. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, but you can see very quickly how different our situation is in such a rapid acceleration of time compared to these traditions. And this all, all of what I'm talking about, all is built into the psycho, emotional, spiritual connection to health and longevity, which may be the most important aspect. Now, also, what, what's also common about these, all, these six areas in the world? Well, they were all primarily plant-based. That's part of Dan Butler's um, research and his observation. They were all primarily plant-based. Now, they all had a different form because they were in different part of the world, obviously. So it wasn't the same thing right? It wasn't like, oh, it's this, you know, high fruit or low fruit or high fat or, or cooked or, or raw or whatever. It was a mixture of everything based on the traditions, based on the culture. And it wasn't actually a health obsessed focus on food. It was more of a, um, a, a communion reunion based focus on food because that's where the families would gather. There's celebration, there's parties, all that kind of thing. That's all built into it. Food is a celebratory thing to be appreciated and enjoyed, not to be feared 
and, um, you know, to be used as a way to avoid our own emotions. Um, now, now, just to make that distinction, it doesn't mean that they didn't eat meat. It means that they were plant-based, meaning the basis and the foundation of their diet was plant-based. Um, so, like, you know, there was kind of an 80% rule or so that came out of that. Um, what other interesting things? We talked about connection, you know, um, propping up the elders as the, the, you know, really the wisdom keepers, which is a traditional aspect of all cultures, the wisdom keepers. So the idea of the shaman, the mystic, the medicine man or woman, the, 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 that archetype, which is a natural incarnation of older age where you let go of the masks and the conditioning and the identities. And you basically become that character through the wisdom and life experience um, that that was revered, and that and they were they were propped up and held in reverence and taken care of, and so the the younger children had the connection to their grandparents and their great grandparents, which we really don't have in our society, which has led to the the total destruction of wisdom. So wisdom being a just I keep hitting that point. It's such a key here because. So, so for, I'm going to finish this. Uh, so basically, just what I would say on this is look up the blue zones, um, connect, connection to nature, connection to family, to relationships, connection to food as a celebratory fact, um, primarily plant-based, dominantly, all organic food, um, you know, these kind of things. And then also highest quality water, spring water, natural water, movement and exercise is another thing I want to point out. Now, what they found out, especially in Okinawa, in particular Okinawa, the island in Japan, they found out that these people are walking. They found out that the, the oldest living people in the world are walkers. They're not runners. They're not weightlifters. They're walkers. So walking and longevity are in association. I could do a thing on walking because what it does to your, your thought process in the active meditation component of walking every single morning, walking in the evening, especially if you have a, a partner or a spouse, walking together is a different type of conversation and experience than sitting at the dinner table. So walking is built into that too. I want to make sure I point that out. So, okay, now the last point as we close this out is more just a thought process that we all need to get on board with if we're truly committed to longevity. If we're truly committed to living a long time with the highest quality of life possible, here's the thought process. Evolutionary nutritional strategies, evolutionary lifestyle design. We take the wisdom of the past we discard the nonsense of the present moment, mostly, right? What's not working and the confusion around things. And we take, okay, what is going to work for the world that we live in now? Because we don't live in the world that our ancestors lived in. And I don't particularly want to trade places with them either. I like the opportunities that we have to explore and maximize our unlimited human potential in ways that were never, ever available before. And I bet you if you time traveled and you gave them the option, they'd want to be here right now too. 
But with the added responsibility and the acceleration of exponential technology that we have, we have more responsibility to wisdom than ever before. We have to apply absolute wisdom and embodied life experience and leadership in order to have the capacity to maintain the the potential that we get to explore. Otherwise, we're going to keep self-sabotaging, back and forth, yo-yoing, you know, just the the crazy weirdness of our, our psychological landscape right now. We have to evolve as human beings mentally, emotionally, physiologically, spiritually, metaphysically, all areas of our life get that under control and we have to we have to heal the inner child wounds and traumas so we can mature as fully formed integrated adults that are capable of using our technology responsibly otherwise we are going to continue to poison the planet um mistreat animals we are going to continue to do all the crazy atrocities and nonsensical political-based, um, you know, aberrations of consciousness that we see right now if we do not heal those traumas and those inner wounds. We have to become fully formed, integrated, matured adults so we can actually lead ourselves and help lead other people into the evolutionary landscape of the future. And what that means from a health perspective is that we have to take living food knowledge, superfood knowledge, tonic herbalism, all of these great things from our past, take away the story associated with that because that was based on a different time and place. And we have to apply a new narrative to it. And we have to take all that wisdom and apply it moving forward And one of the things about what we need to do is we need to build in cleansing and detoxification strategies into our lifestyle because that, you know, this is the world we live in right now. We didn't, they didn't have to deal with the same stuff that they're dealing with in the past. We have to deal with what we have to deal with right now. So instead of focusing obsessively on what did our ancestors do, let's focus on what are our predecessors going to do. Let's tap into our multidimensional awareness and start communicating with our future self, the possibility of what we can become 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years down the line because we do have the ability to live longer than anyone else in human history. Biologically speaking, it's already been said that a normal biological life expectancy at optimum capacity is around 120, right? So if you do all the right things, you can bet that, you know, 120 is pretty reasonable. Now with technology on our hands, we can advance that to 140, 150, 180 That seems pretty reasonable. And if you set a goal, you'll get a goal. So, you know, there's no telling what we can do, but we got to get clear on what we're going to start doing right here and now. And what is our vision for the future? Reconciling our past and getting super present with where we are right now and painting the vision of where we can go in the future if we dial in all the strategies and... We heal those inner wounds and traumas and conflicts and we maximize every single day. We can get anywhere we want to be. That's my belief. That's my conviction. 
And that's my perspective on this whole topic and conversation, utilizing the wisdom that we've learned from our ancestors and the elders and applying that and applying those archetypes to our present situation so we do not self-destruct, which is the path that our culture is on right now. And um, it's going to be an interesting time. There's interesting times ahead. Nobody knows where it's going, but we have the power to influence what direction that we steer the ship. And that's what I'll leave you with right now to ponder into process. Thank you so much for joining me on this other, this amazing episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. The next episode is going to be the final episode in our first series on holistic nutrition. And we are going to talk about my favorite top 10 supplements for high performance health. Looking forward to that. And um, we'll uh, see you on the next show.